This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Warning, the following broadcast contains adult language, adult content, frank safety discussions, and stories that might sound unbelievable. But believe me, every one of those stories is true. We didn't start the safety war, but we are going to fight to win it. For our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, and for our lives. Putting all that extra carbon in the air, they should be ashamed of themselves. Hope everybody had a great weekend. What's going on here? Uh, we uh, just made the reservations, uh, in case you haven't heard of it, on some of the other shows. Uh, if you go on over to safetyfm.com. Let's see if I can do a share screen on this. Okay, we're going to do a share screen. I'm sorry for you folks at home that are listening on our audio feed on Safety FM, but let me go on over here. So you go over to safetyfm.com and... Uh, this is the, uh, uh, website for the network and you go over to live event. And here we have the, the uh, Conklin conference, uh, starring Todd Conklin, hosted by Jay Allen. Two of our safety mystics is here, Todd Conklin and Jay Allen, along with, uh, Jen Long. Bob Edwards, and Mark Yeston. This is on September 27th, 29th, 2023, and you can go down and uh, take a look at it. And there's also a, uh, Jay just sent me a text message, uh, ACFS uh, event there the day before. All that same venue, all that same hotel. Uh, you know, uh, there is a cost associated to both. It's definitely not free. So uh, we're hanging out down there doing um, talking safety, what we always do. So uh, today marks the 22nd anniversary, a very solemn anniversary for anybody in the New York area for uh, 9-11, for the attacks on 9-11, where... You know, I can't believe, I really cannot believe that it is 22 years. And I know uh, I'm not the only one who said that, and it's not all about me. I mean, this is not 
definitely not about me, not about the program or anything else. This is about, uh, we want to go and remember a lot of the folks, remember the folks that died uh, on uh, this uh, day, 3,000. And I looked up some other, I'm putting on the feed here to make sure you hear me all. Uh, I just did some back in the envelope that uh, yeah, we got it here. Back in the envelope uh, information here. There are almost 3,000 people that died in related with 9-11 related cancers since then. And we had the original uh, attack on the World Trade Center in the early 90s. Uh, no, I, where was I? I was listening to uh, 99.1 Pacifica Radio uh, out of New York City. Yes, I do listen to the Pacifica Radio from uh, time to time. I believe it was the Amy Goodman show or the show before Amy Goodman uh, there. Uh, and there was a report that, and I was living in Hoboken, New Jersey at the time, there was a report that a small plane crash had hit uh, the World Trade Center. There was a small plane. And I was thinking, this sounds like a uh, the situation uh, around World War II, 1940s, 1950s, where a bomber hit the Empire State Building. I said, wow, uh, it happened again. And then I said, well, let me turn on the TV. Let's see what this is. I turned on the TV, uh, and that was when the second plane it came in and did the damage. So uh, me and the people in the... Uh, apartment house where I was living on Grand Street in Hoboken, New Jersey, we went to the roof and we went out and we saw the whole thing from there on out what you saw on TV. And that reports from the Pentagon and Light 93 came in and uh, all other stuff. Thankfully, I did not uh, have anyone that I know uh, any close to shows, uh, associates or anything die in the attacks there uh my uh how my family was involved was my uncle kenny who uh uh i believe it was the merchant mariners medal he received from the department of transportation uh, he was one of the people evacuating the, the manhattan on his tugboats and he was his uh there was a article that mentioned him a year later at the awards ceremony for all the first responders that responded to uh, the maritime evacuation of Manhattan uh, that uh, he said, no, it was just one of those things. I mean, it was a horrible situation there. And uh, he got a write-up in the New York Times. Uh, and then later on, he got, a note, got that award a second time for Miracle on the Hudson, where he was one of the responders for that. But any, anyway, it's just horrific what we were dealing with there. And I wanted to start out with, before I go on, I want to start out, I put together a PowerPoint presentation on, and so not, I added, if you're watching the program, you've seen a lot of the elements here on uh On, uh, hold on, I'm getting in here. You've seen a lot of these uh, PowerPoint presentations here. And I just wanted to...
Hold on one second here. I said this too early. I put together a presentation on the uh, World Trade Center dust, a lot of the respiratory issues there. Because a lot of this stuff, like with the issue attention cycle that we discussed a couple of weeks ago, uh, a lot of this stuff people think were resolved with respiratory protection and disasters. A lot of this stuff wasn't resolved as evidenced by the uh, COVID-19 situation and our ranting on that we mentioned a lot of the uh, uh, issues that came up with them so I want to take a minute out a moment of silence here we're going to play the Star Spangled Banner uh, in memory of everybody who passed away on uh, 9-11-2001 <laughs> We all have a story to tell on 9-11, where we were, what we were doing, how we were doing it. If we responded, especially in the New York area. A lot of this, uh, we thought, safety-wise, a lot of this stuff happened down there. We all understand that uh, during the moment, during the emergency response, things weren't going to be done exactly correctly. And if we thought that since 9-11, that that would never happen especially with the respiratory protection and how we manage the Zaz. But sometime in, in the late 2000s, this stuff went away, went out of our mind. Think about it. The issue intention cycle, we thought it was resolved. Okay, it was resolved, now we can move on. And the other thing is that we, uh, we were dealing with fatigue, just general fatigue, uh, especially up here in the New York area. You cannot go for years after... Uh, 2001 without uh, anywhere. That's people talking about it. Uh, people, uh, the biggest shock was to a lot of the people in college, where I went to college, IT, the graduate school, where people were walking zombies. And that's what some of the symptoms were. And there was a complete shock that something like this could happen. 
And I don't want to go and relive all the uh, details. You can read about them. There's a lot of conspiracy theories behind it. Uh, we were going to know all of them. Uh, we had a discussion today in my house over dinner because I felt discuss this. And I had mentioned this the first time I started the podcast in 2021, where we had a, a uh, uh, I gave a message where we stand for our posterity. You got to remember this because today, uh, and like we have a very good school district here. My son came home saying a lot of things that were not necessarily true with 9-11. And as um, those, you know, 11-year-olds, well, they're not going to believe you totally. What is my hope that believes me on what happened on that day? Uh, and the facts, I show them, look, these are the facts. What you're learning at school, not necessarily facts from a certain point of view. And it's important for us, whether it's with 9-11, whether it's with the COVID-19 pandemic, anything like that, that we write things down. Because writing things down ensures permanence. Computer stuff and everything that we see, this stuff, not permanent. It's going to be deleted. It's going to be erased. It's going to be thrown out. Writing things down and them, uh, at last. When the written word lasts. Maybe you know, we, we talk about hieroglyphics, thanks to the Rosetta Stone. Uniform lasts. Uh, Epic of Gilgamesh, thousands of years old. These things are all in writing, and they're a way for the past to communicate with the future. These stories, this oral history that we have, very important that we remember this stuff. And we make this a regular conversation. I know three people that were with PTSD from 9-11. I know them personally. One ended up, and I'm not going to have them here on the air, one ended up committing suicide uh, over the whole thing. Years later, he went into a deep depression, which led to other health issues, which led to his suicide mental health issues. And what he, uh, I'm going to say, make sure that uh, if you're feeling that way, get help. Please get help. Media in the game here. Media here to make safety here. Another two people, depression, took for years, health issues, alcohol abuse, uh, other substance abuse. What uh, my way of managing it was learning about emergency response more. I already knew about emergency response for many years. And uh, right after that, we did attacks there. About a year later, they were still doing private cleanups. They got involved in private cleanups uh, after 9-11 uh, me, uh, with my former employer. Uh, all this stuff going on there, it's uh, got to learn this. Remember, the other thing is this, virtue signaling. What's virtue signaling? Oh, look at me. I have the American flag. Rah, 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 rah. Rah, 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 rah. Oh, look at me. I'm doing that. I'm doing that. And you don't really do anything. 
We're not talking about the people today that volunteered, that went out there and did community events in honor of the people passed away on 9 11. Talking about the other people out there. I want to give the appearance right, they're patriotic. I want to give the appearance, and I know this is controversial, but who am I? A safety shock jock. But there's nothing in there. You got you cannot just feel, hey, I okay, I, I want to remember these folks. Try to translate that into something. That's what we're gonna do here in a minute. My attempt to translate into Meaningful. Right. Part of the reason why we set this up as we became safety wars was 9 11. It was rooted in 9 11. Where we, I mean, a group of people, to impact public policy. We were a little bit successful. But we, had I not involved in that, I wouldn't be involved with this right now. There were Horror stories associated. We got to remember, but let me move on here. Ramblings of a lunatic mind here, right? Um, but what else? New. No. So, hold on here. I want to make sure this gets displayed correctly. That's what we got to do it this way. All right. So here we have my presentation here. All right, big thing is, and there were articles written in the Synergist and some of the other magazines that we need to have more training in respiratory protection after 9-11. And these articles were written in the late 2000s, early 2000s. And what were some of the lessons that we learned? This is what it is. Anytime you're dealing with a disaster, 9-11 process on that scale, personal disaster, and let's remember, Review four different things we're worried about. Zero to 20, scenario one, zero to 24 hours, two, 24 to 96 hours, right? A couple of days emerges an hour outage for a couple of days, that's sort of thing. Then you have one month right? where you're dealing with things for up to a month, some normalcy, it brings the disaster cycle, and then you have more than 30 days, which is essentially primitive living. Why do I break it down that way? Because those are four different things that you totally need to uh, end for um, there. Now, we're going to talk about hazardous levels. There are four routes of exposure. Inhalation, injection, contact, and ingestion. So, rule number one, dealing with hazardous materials. Don't get it in Right? Don't get it on you in contact hazards, bring it around, and do not bring it home. The most important. Uh, so if you can remember that, don't get it in you, don't bring it home. Those are the three things you remember. We also have, you know, remember our modes of work, especially if you're in a hospital. Every hospital is a 
and Rasmussen, you have normal work. You're able to set up the work. You're able to set things up. You're able to apply the hierarchy of controls and everything else right there. And you're able to go through the whole thing. And a disaster site work, you can't, that doesn't apply. Our skills mode, there is no safe mode for disasters. Can you mitigate hazards? You try to apply the hierarchy, obviously. Rules mode. And that's the best you can hope for in the initial response. Meaning, I have this experience. I'm going to apply this, uh, this experience. I have these procedures and I'm going to apply the rules this, then, then. We're good. That's the best you can do. And what do you do that with? With training, tabletop exercise, planning, thinking, the whole thing. Most likely in a disaster site, you're going to be dealing in lack of knowledge mode or in the knowledge. Meaning you're going to apply what you learned before and you're going to apply it to this situation. And that's a higher rate, right? And the numbers aren't important. That's where your highest. That's where you have problems. With 9/11, there were so many people involved in such an emergent situation. That's where the errors are made. So, what's the scenario here? Now, could you have planned for something like that? Hindsight being 2020, hindsight bias, right? Uh, with that, or Monday Night Football being listened to upstairs by my father-in-law. Monday morning, right? Monday morning or Tuesday morning quarterback. We're not playing that game here. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm just telling you, looking back, what happened now we better able to plan for tomorrow and other things. Nobody could envision that someone's going to take a plane, fly it into the buildings and make it collapse. Unless the intelligence community really had some knowledge there were some indications that the intelligence community had some foreknowledge that got buried in there. I don't know. It's like sort of like what we used to call a black swan event. And as everyone knows, that black swans do exist in the southern hemisphere. But black swan, not going to happen. Now, going on here, we have hierarchy of controls. We also have left and right of the bank. This was a, a, a cool works for me. We had the left of the bank, meaning the left of the incident. This comes from the military, and I was never in the military. So you're going to say, we deal with situational awareness, evaluation, equipment, controls, and all that comes into play. Then you have bang. Right? You have bang, the incident, right of the bang. The incident, the evaluation, the and everything else, and what you want to try to do is keep it on the left of the bang, and then when the bang happens, you go right up the bang, and now it's automatic. Our and everything else. Uh, this is what training is involved. This is why it's important now on our work. Here's our disaster management cycle where you have a disaster, the response, recovery, education, and then preparation. And what happens is you get to the recovery and Cover uh, mitigation. Hey, the thing's over. This could easily be the issue of tension cycle. Everyone thinks that everyone's prepared until the next is. Now let's talk about this here. What, how does this and this and this 
all translate into OSHA. How, how, how does it apply? We have what are called where you have to go if you're an employer and you have to set, go through what the emergency procedures are with this. Reportedly, Morgan Stanley, the person who uh, was in charge there of safety, people were told to go back in. No, no problem. We can't got this. Go back to your office. He said, hey, move on out, guys. Uh, we're going out and evacuated almost all of his people out of that's how uh, the story goes, and I'm sticking with it. Uh, I don't mention them here because they're I've seen, like three sources with different names, so I don't want to have a problem here. So, what is technology? When we talk about chemical exposure, there's 9 11 dust, or in your workplace, or anything else, we have technology. This is the thing that a lot of trainers don't want to discuss. But it's real simple. Study of adverse effects of chemicals versus the amount of chemical on the human body. Right. So that's essentially you have what is called both response relationships. For every dose, there is a response to the body. The body filters out materials primarily through the liver and the kidneys. Does it do its part through your digestive system, things of that nature? Primarily through the liver and kidneys. And these chemicals have a uh, effect on you. They could have, uh, and, and if you move on, listen to the NEC NIOSH rocket guy for chemical hazards. I have it right here. Uh, there's those people saying they're going to update this. It hasn't happened yet. In September 2007, if you go to table number five, Roman numeral five, so where is it? Really? Uh, table five. You go here. Yeah, here it is. You have two complete pages on how chemicals could impact. By the way, this is available online. And this is all for free if you write away uh, to the CDC for this. You have two pages of what a chemical can do to you here. A lot of stuff. And that's something you got to remember. And let's say you have multiple chemicals. Um, that's something we need to think we can do. Now, who is the guy who came up? This is my little joke. A guy by the name of Paracelsus. But why did they call him Paracelsus? Because his real name was, let's see if I can get this, Theophrastus von Hohenheim. My German grandparents were the last name there. Uh, ways of thinking of things getting into the body, inhalation, we can breathe it in. This is what is the primary hazard on 9-11, injection, meaning that it gets into your body and the, through injection. So the common uh, thing that they always just say was needles. But in, since, the, since uh, you know, we get more experience, we understand it could be a hydraulic, high pressure hydraulic, high pressure air. Uh, it could be a stab, that sort of thing. When I was uh, around 11 years old, I fell out of the sea now. My hand got infected, blew up, and everything else. There's the, there's the uh, 
scar right there. Yes, no, I do not. I'm not saying I have the stigmata. We're ended up was uh, I fell out of mail, got infected, and uh, you know my mom freaked. Uh, what's up? Now chemicals, how do they interact with your body? It could be an additive, meaning it's a form of different chemicals, and that's what we always assume is the additive. In industrial pathology, dealing with chemical exposure, then you can have potentiation. One chemical alone does not have an impact, but when added to another, one the second one has a greater effect. Antagonist, meaning what chemicals are less hazardous, and synergy. Hey, someone should name a magazine now. Uh, synergist, where a synergist, two chemicals together are greater than each separately or added together, and you have. A uh, dose response relationship greater than the dose, or the response. and of course, running in here makes it challenging. It's a thing called hormesis, homeopathy. They give you a little chemical, and you can action. So here he goes, and it's healthy and things of that nature. I'm not a doctor, I don't play one on how does this, and I don't play one on the internet either. Exposure limits. So, here we have. Commonly held exposure limits, and these are normally inhalational, except LD50, which uh, or LCP, which are lethal dose 50 or lethal concentration 50. So you have the ocean yell. That is the regulatory limit. So if OSHA wants to come out there and fight your employer for something, they're going to, generally speaking, go after the permissible exposure limit, unless, unless. Uh, you're dealing with the 19-120 regulations where that lowest temperature exposure limit may apply. Depending on what you're dealing with and everything else. All right, then you have the NIOSH REL, that's recommended exposure limit. NIOSH uh, is National Institute for Occupational Health, part of the CDC. For the people who go and uh, deal with uh, certifying respirators and things like that, and evaluating respirators, they put out this book. Then you have IDLH, immediately dangerous through life and health uh, situation as IDLH. Uh, that's uh, brought, usually listed in the NIOSH guide. And we also have, hold on, let me write this down because I'm going to forget it. I always forget. All right, and then you have LD50, lethal dose 50, oral, right? That's usually through uh, animal testing and LC50, same thing. That means 50% of the people will take 50% of a population and a ceiling level. You can also have a stellar exposure on that. Those are generally the ones there. And you have the units to measure for all this stuff. You have parts per million, one out of a million, parts per billion out of a billion. When you're dealing with those, you're normally dealing with an air concentration of a vapor or a gas. That's what you're dealing with. If, However, realize that, especially if you're into professional testimony and witnessing, everything is a weight or a volume. So there is a uh, formula that we won't go into, but micrograms per meter What's a microgram? That's the same as one in a billion. 
milligram uh, meter per meter. That's one in a thousand meter cube. And how much is a gram? One gram is 0.0022046 pounds. Now you're going to say, well, what use is that to me? That is two grams of salt. Right? A little bit more than 18. Yes, my cat was annoyed because I used her uh, um, food for this. That is sugar. Two grams of sugar. And those are two almonds, two grams on that. And uh, yeah, I didn't have them here, but it was like four pistachios. Yeah. Now you take this and you divide it in half. You got one gram. You divide it into a thousand. Let's say you're going to take that. Let's, let's start over. You take that and you put it on a flat surface like a mirror. And you're going to take a razor blade or other sharp object, maybe a jam or a card, and you're going to divide it into two. Right? You got one gram here, one gram there. And you're able to go, able to divide that up into a thousand pieces. And that is one milligram, one of those thousand. And you're going to take that and divide that one gram into a million by a million. And you can deal with a microgram. So that's a real small thing. Per meter cube is all right, 39 inches by 39 inches by 39 inches. So with a permissible exposure limit of 50 micrograms, that's not a whole hell of a lot. 50 micrograms per meter cube. Not a lot. Now, it's real simple. You go to the workplace and you're able to go and Assume, let's say you have a mixture of chemicals. You have multiple chemicals here. You're going to go and assume there's an, uh, it will have the same target organ right, as listed in the NIOSH guide and on the safety data sheet and on some of the other resources out there. Uh, they have online apps dealing with this. If you're going to go and uh, look that up, you're going to be dealing with a mixture. If they have the same target organ, well, how do is you have to make an adjustment? And this is the typical formula for that. So, you're, so what's the uh, moral of the story? The more chemicals you have, the lower the exposure to each chemical you're allowed. And as long as you don't, this formula doesn't come out to one, you're good. How's that? That's the additive formula. And where do you find these exposure limits? OSHA regulations. OSHA. Regulates a couple thousand chemicals. NIOSH, 679 chemicals. ACGIH, Special Limit Value Public, that's the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists. They have a threshold limit value, biological exposure limit book, that couple of, well, under a thousand for private trade group, uh, safety data sheets, and of course, scientific literature. That's where you get all this stuff. Common respiratory hazards. Now, here's my question. This is what the crux is. The whole idea of this presentation. Let me, I should have made a little bit. This is what the entire thing is here. How many chemicals 
We're in World Trade Center dust. Are because every once in a while you hear uh, something that wasn't cleaned up during the initial cleanup. How many do you think? Some sources, all of that 2,500 different things. What were they? Let's see, I have the list right here. Bear with me here. This is from the NIH.gov. Let's share our screen here. Hold on. Hold on for a second. Here, this is from the NIH here, uh, non-copyrighted. The World uh, Trade Center Twin Towers in New York City collapsed on 9-11. That's one. Hurting much of the building's huge mass into dense clouds of particles that settled on the streets and within buildings throughout lower Manhattan. So most of the stuff is the way the predominant wind direction was. It's the contamination started about a block and a half, maybe two blocks north of the World Trade Center and went over Brooklyn and extended over Brooklyn uh, on that. It was uncanny the way things uh, had settled on. So about 80 to 90 percent of the World Trade Center does, ranging in particle size uh, from approximately 2.85. By microns upward. Now, review respiratory, uh, you inhale things, respiratory water is less than 10 microns, right? PM 10 microns, and less than 10 point microns is what gets into your body. Your natural defenses uh, filter that out. So, the smaller or the more surface area is another way of thinking. Thus, the more opportunity chemical reaction, and the deeper penetration of the urals. So it was a, so ranging in particle size, 2.5 microns upward, was a highly alkaline, some of the, meaning the pH levels were somewhere around 10 or 11, a mixture of crushed concrete, gypsum, and synthetic vitreous fibers that were readily resuspendable by physical resistance on low-velocity air currents. High concentrations of quartz and superquartz dust were inhaled, depositing the conductive airways in head and lungs, and subsequently swallowed. Congestion hazard, causing both physical and chemical irritation to the respiratory and gastroesophageal epithelia. There were both acute and chronic adverse health effects in rescue and recovery workers, cleanup workers, residents, and officers, especially lacking effective. Personal respiratory protective equipment. Before 9 11, who would have ever done that? Let's be fair. Content, crimes, behavior. The numerous uh, health effects of these people are not those associated with monitored PMs, which are present at low concentrations, that is, asbestos fibers, transition, and heavy metals, polyaromatic hydrocarbons, pause, and diapers. 
stop ignoring them, right? History for sensitive CBD. This is from the uh, Transformers. And if you've ever been in a high rise, every floor has a transformer, it's a step one transformer, and high voltage down to uh, what goes down to your outlet, which is usually and shoulder. Attention was never directed at the high concentrations of larger size and highly alkaline world transformer dust particles that, in retrospect, contain the more likely causal toxicant. Fortunately, the initial focus on air quality monitoring and guidance and exposure events and programs on low concentration components was never revived. Now, if you look at some of these other sources I have here, Scientific American, September 7, 2011, I'm uh, broadcasting here. Uh, again, uh, one, uh, 10 million tons of building materials and contents burning at temperatures above 1,000 degrees Celsius, extended from uh, lower Manhattan across the East River into Brooklyn beyond to the sea. What was in that? Uh, chemicals, a lot of stuff with the same chemical, with the same target organ. The sinus, gastroesophageal, epithelium, all that stuff going in there. So now let's go back to our presentation here. What do we have? This. So do you think that there's going to be a lot or a little of material that's going to give you a problem? It's going to be a little material because you have, according to some sources, several hundreds of thousands of chemicals. OSHA doesn't have exposure limits for all of them. CDC doesn't. ACGIH doesn't. Any of these groups. And it's all being done on the, uh, all being done on the, uh, as we think in real time here. Again, not prepared or anything else. How the hell were we going to prepare for that? Context drives behavior. But what happened afterwards with this stuff was that they recommended, and a couple of classes came out, outreach courses for uh, mass response workers, where we talked about respirators. And there's a huge focus in those classes, especially the merchant's response on PPE, on respirators. Because if we go back here, what doesn't apply? What doesn't apply here is this, the hierarchy of control. So what ends up happening is you have to rely on your PPE. And you also have to rely on a greater safety mark. Where a normal safety margin in uh, uh, safety is two to one. Meaning, if you have a PEL of one, divided it by one half, 0 0.5. Guess what? That is your action level. There's a two to one safety margin. When you're dealing with slings, what are you doing? A four to one activity on that safety margin, five to one safety margin. When you're dealing with a disaster, since you don't know what you're dealing with, now your safety margin has to be a lot higher. Some people say if you're able to quantify that, it'll be 10 to 1. That's why it's important to have 
can't be prepared with PPE if you're a responder. So now what do you do if you're the average Joe, the average Jane, the average person there? So first thing you want to do, and I'll, I left this here for you to give you all different, you have to know what your hazards are. And in this case, it would be smoke and debris, and that would be the respiratory hazard. And you can have an oxygen deficiency, and unless you're dealing with supplied air, we're going to an oxygen deficient atmosphere. What are we talking about? Sewers, tanks. Uh, here we have a sewer pipe here, a drainage pipe uh, for a sewer. Oh, look at that sanitary. You have hydrogen sulfide, swamp gas, different hazards for that. Now, what you're going to need all different types of PBE and supplied air respirators. And you have carbon monoxide. That's a big one on disaster sites where an emergency response with from generators, generally speaking, people put them in areas where there's low ventilation, like the house, and they get carbon monoxide poisoning. And you need air monitoring for that. But with wood smoke, these are only some of the things that were in World Trade Center uh, smoke here. This is regular wood smoke. We're not talking World Trade Center. Regular wood smoke, which was in there, all these chemicals, a lot of the same target oils. World Trade Center dust. 50% non-fibrous material and, and construction debris, 40% glass, 9.2% cellulose, and the rest extremely toxic carcinogenic. Uh, lead, mercury, dioxin, polyaromatic, and you know we have we apply that. So I remember that my first experience with uh, respiratory hazards and emergency response was when I was about 12 years old in New Jersey, just south of the Outer Bridge Crossing. And for Thamboy, there was a factory. And it blew up. And this is, and they had fires. What did they give the, uh, what did they give the uh, responders a lot of police officers? Masks. Dust masks. They'll go out there and although the civil surgical, go out there and things it's okay and what i ended up happening then that happening people ended up getting sick and the same thing happened over in New Jersey. and there were other states nationwide these were the ones i'm familiar with were local to me and people got sick. all because of masks and so if you're dealing with an actual respiratory hazard and you're an employer what do you need to do if you're an employer Distribute your employees NIOSH rated and the Centers of Disease Control are certified NIOSH, National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. They need a medical evaluation, they need training, need a slight air respirator, and uh, protect you from a specific thing. And you're also going to need fit testing. If you're dealing with a mask, not NIOSH rated, you don't need to do anything. And masks don't. I, uh, uh, air either. Maybe. Maybe not. Because people are confused. You might see people using masks and then right with COVID, right? Respirators post COVID right now. Uh, my opinion. So now let's say that you are a government official here and you are here with this. This is what we were told to wear during COVID. 
go back to, and I have the article here. I'm not sharing it here. I have the article. And this is from Scientific American, 2011. In future such disasters, strapping on a respirator may be among the most important safety precautions people can take in the future. We need to make sure people who are going into harm's way have respiratory protection of some degree that allows them to move freely enough to rescue people. This is according to the article uh, quotes someone named Lior. Today, more than 12,911 years ago, workers continue to have trouble breathing. According to a study conducted by the World Trade Center Mental Monitoring Program, published in 2010 in the New England Journal of Medicine. Now, this is for rescue workers. Right? What about for us? Respiratory protection. COVID hit. This is 10 years, 10 years before COVID hit. Respiratory protection, we didn't have. So it's incumbent on us to get it. Let's say you're a private employer. It would be advisable to get a respirator. Train your people on respirator, depending on what it is. The reason why they recommend a mask was now you don't have to do any of that stuff. If you're going to be a responder, you got to have in your head, hey, what am I responding to? What am I going to do? What respirators can I have and everything else? And I'll go into that in a minute. By the way, if this is APFM, uh, we're, we're going to be in the title of the show, Catch the Podcast, and on uh, YouTube, uh, whatever video. All this stuff is important out there. Get the right training, get the right equipment. Again, let's not analyze an act. Let's share again. And so here we have the mass, right? And the biggest problem that we're going to have now, I can see this happening during the next disaster. People wearing the mass for weather than respirators because the masks are protecting you from the most deadly. So when do you use this? Uh, PPE you need a particular job, and you have to anticipate what you're doing. When do you need to use respirators and everything else along with that medical clearance? Uh, full face respirators are required with chemical hazards to the face and the eye. All mass respirators cause physical on the body. They have a medical evaluation. Employer or supervisors might be held liable if there's a problem, except if you're the government. Let's have sovereign immunity. Let's remember during 9 11 and subsequent disasters, OSHA was suspended. Well, OSHA went from a compliance into a consultation role on all these things. Oh, no OSHA regulation. So what happens? We're an enforcement thing. But is the so responsible for injuries? Absolutely. Absolutely responsible for injuries. Absolutely responsible for liable for injuries. So just because you're not, some yeah, of this stuff is applying to you, doesn't mean OSHA's not, goes into the consultation road, does, doesn't mean you're exempt from all laws. That's not what that means. 
So if you're in charge of safety and for a, a private company, you better make sure that you get the right stuff when you get it. This is respirator. Mass-supply respirator. Uh, we have 100 cartridges on here. Sometimes DEL, whatever you actually use. Has, we'll go in. You want to hire me. Full training. Then you have the NPNR respirators. This not supply oxygen. Does not work for gases. 10 times the PEL going on there. Must be fantastic, qualitative, uh, only fantastic. Uh, usually must have medical approval. I M is no oil, P is oil proof, R is resistant to oil. They have 95% of particles, 99% of particles, 99 means greater, or 100%, or P100 and 100 R100, mean 99.97% of particles, 0.3 microns or greater in uh, a diameter on here. So it might filter smaller particles. Yeah, or may not. That's what it's rated for. And then you have the full uh, respirator here, which is five times better than the half base. All the same things on there. Powered air purifying, supplied air. This is uh, typically what firefighters will use, a slightly different. This is a little older, whatever. And then you have this is an abrasive blaster. Here, uh, one of our listeners sent this in. I said, hey, I need an abrasive blaster. This is what I got. And you that all is on my air, different ways of doing this from a bottle or processor. So let's say that you go into a situation. This is from the DOT guide, the emergency response guide. What are you looking for? How do you know you have chemical hazards? And then there might be a chemical issue. Dead animals, birds or fish, lack of insects, mass casualties, pattern of casualties, unusual liquid droplets, looking areas, low-lying clouds, unusual metal debris, or whatever my mother would say. And uh, you have all this stuff out there. Now, I'm not going to hang around. I'm leaving. I'm not worried about respirators. That's what that makes me laugh. I'm tearing around this respirator. Guess what? It's going to take you longer to take that respirator around and run than it is to tell you to run like hell away from the hazard. And you know you have a biological hazard, biological impact. Unusual numbers of dying people and animals, unscheduled and unusual spray being disseminated, abandoned spray devices, the Hudson sprayers, and the odd uh, uh, radiological. We had the tri fin symbol there. Teller, uh, containers uh, with radiation fuel, unusual medical metal debris, heat emitting material, glowing material, sick people or animal. Again, I would get the hell out. And if you're going to make an emergency call on that, do it 100 meters away from the plane. Because they're worried about things being detonated by a cell phone. Uh, and again, for if you're a emergency responder, this is everything here. Now, this goes to show you, don't bring it home. This is what I saw on 9-11. People were in lower Manhattan. They were either being evacuated by people like my uncle, or they went on foot. So a lot of the girls that lived next door to me were 
Uh, they had to they walk from Manhattan to the George Washington Bridge. This is roughly 10 miles. It's a nice walk. None of it, by the way. Uh, now you're all full of this stuff. Caustic material. They get into vehicles, buses, pickup trucks, whatever. Uh, and they get taken across the bridge. And they have to walk from the George Washington Bridge down to Hogan. Hudson County. Nightmarish situation out there. They get home. A lot of them are still covered in dust. Now what do you do? They go in their house. They spread all this stuff in their house and their apartment. And this is part of the public record. You have, I mentioned on Coast to Coast AM earlier this year, I'll be input it. Had this situation where you bring this stuff into the house. Now, that's a problem. What's safe? What's not safe? What's, uh, I don't know. And with the anthrax cleanups, what do we end up doing? This is out, by the way, on the public record. I'm not releasing confidential information. What ended up happening is we ended up throwing everything out because nobody would. Sign off on that. Who's going to want to sign off on that? Not too many people. So, again, you can't bring the stuff with you. Maybe have plan to have a garden hose out back where you could decon if there's no, nothing else available. Let's say you have a mass casualty event. It is in a lot of protocols, so they actually hose you down with a fire hose. Right? With that. Go back to our PowerPoint. Oh, notify your lease, limit access. So let's say that I had inside, uh, I was inside a building. This happened. I would direct people to the bathroom, hang out in the bathroom. Why? Easy to decontaminate and easy to remodel. You don't want to have the person running all over the place with, uh, with that. And if that's, let's say, in a building with asthmat, don't rely on your nose. Just because you can't smell it does not mean that. It's not a hazard. And you can't plan for unforeseen events, but you can't plan for what we've learned from before. And this is what we do. Again, what happened on 9-11 and how do we prevent it from happening? And if it does happen, left and right of the bang, if we recall, what are we going to do about it? Have your plans in place. Have those emergency action plans for your work in place. And don't get, I don't want to talk about COVID. Right? Don't get it in you. Don't get it on you. Don't bring it home. That's your final reminder. And remember that disaster management uh, uh, cycle. Right now, we're still in the mitigation phase in a lot of these places. These recent disasters, we need to be in the preparation and, and going out there and doing it, right? Preparing for the next disaster. That's why we have disaster preparation uh, month every September. And this month, we are dealing with... Uh, this year, we are dealing with older folk and disasters. So I hope, I know this is rambling a little bit. I know what, what else is new. Uh, really important that we learn our lessons here from 9-11. want to prevent it from happening again, which I, we're still putting in security protocols related to 9-11, not 22 years later. Uh, what's your family going to do? We're talking.
talking about this all month here on disaster preparation. So uh, for Safety Wars and Safety FM, this is Jim Pulzel. Uh I hope uh, you're in my thoughts on 9-11. Uh, well, in our prayers, so we said prayers at our uh, church for the victims of 9-11 and uh, everything that's at the ongoing things. And don't forget EPSD. Psychological issues. If you feel, if you're still having issues, I know I have. Uh, I had a nightmare last night over this stuff. I still deal with a little bit of PTSD from this, and I wasn't even involved, directly involved in this. I just witnessed this on TV from my rooftop, like everybody else. I got involved in some cleanups and that nature. But dealing with this directly has been a horrible situation, and give people a break. A couple years ago, we had an accident investigation that my company was involved in, a rather serious one, where a person had lost someone on 9-11, and they had a network, and got hurt at work, not paying attention. Right? Context drives behavior. I'm not victim shaming here. But probably should have taken the day off. Mine wasn't exactly where it was, and clear. Should have had a little bit more empathy with this. Uh, I know a lot of employers still give people the day off uh, for today in this area. So, uh, again, go out there, be kind to each other. But let's remember some one other thing. Let me, our parting comment on here, I keep finding this. We had September 11th, but we also had September 12th, where we were all unified. We had Congress people singing God bless America on the hall on the steps of Congress. Bipartisan people getting along. That's what we need to get back to here. We need to get along. We need to work together. We need to have leadership. Right? And that's what else. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Thank you.